the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing more. What's on your financial pee-picking minds? What questions do you have? Have you saved enough for retirement? Do you feel good about it? I want you to. I want you to get to retirement, and I want you to be thrilled that you're there. I want you to have enough to please your grandkids. And that may be a trip to Disney, or maybe a trip up to Grandma and Grandpa's house, give them a break from Mom and Dad. So there's been a downside bias on the markets, boo, in the last couple of sessions. Over that period, the market slipped, not so bad, but 1.4%. So we're paying attention to that. It's not so bad. Don't cry. Don't cry. Did you watch the uh, the debates last night? They're saying up to 100 million people might have. Woo! Uh, must see TV, right? The market, let's see how the market's doing with it. I think there was a healthy bump to a belief that Hillary Clinton won last night's presidential debate, if you can call it that. Um, you have a stronger Mexican peso this morning as proof to that thinking, a weaker biotech index. Um... There is obviously more to the story than you can point some fingers to, but Deutsche Bank is in the news again. Um, struggling. Will they be able to survive? Oil prices, the World Trade Organization for um, is out in the news as well, but Deutsche Bank had a rough go of it yesterday. It's dropped 7% for bank. Uh, that's a lot. That would almost be like a 125-pound person going to 100 pounds. It's 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 a lot. And you'd be like, you have cancer? Are you okay? Like, that's a lot. Deutsche Bank sought to put some concerns to rest, but can't. 
And that lie, that basically is the problem. When you lose confidence in a bank, people are like, I'm going to pull my money out of that bank. Um, and banks can't live that way. When you lose investor confidence, uh, it can turn a concerning situation into a fire sale. The bank's German listed shares are down 2.2% again today. The lingering negative bias has cast pall overall on the financial sector in the world. Oil prices down again below $45, barrel 44.74. That weakness follows with the latest headline that now suggests there's unlikely to be a production cap agreement reach at this week's meeting. It's probably going to be the November meeting, blah, 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 blah. And then you have the World Trade Organization, which contained a reduction in its estimate for the world trade growth in 2016. Uh, it cut the numbers from 2.8% down to 1.7%. That's a tempered outlook. All that is weighed on the markets. Let's see if we can't bring in CFP Chad Burton to talk a little financial planning with us for just a moment. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Great. So let's talk about the small stuff in yeah. financial arena. Don't sweat the small stuff. Should you sweat the small stuff or don't sweat the small stuff? Well, yeah, and this is really in terms of estate planning because the stuff in the middle is pretty easy to deal with. Pretty straightforward, right? What's the middle? You know, your your basic wealth. Okay. If you If you have a living trust and you're titling the house the right way, your retirement accounts, your taxable accounts, your taxable accounts get titled into the name of the trust, which is still your social security number. There's no tax by for doing that. It just bypasses probate. But it's kind of the big things and the, and the really little things. The big things are meaning that if you're a single person, you're over $5.34 million now, you have an estate tax problem. Okay. Married, 10.68, right? Okay. So it's those problems and then the ones, the little ones. It's, it's the things that catch an estate up for the longest period of time, like what to do with mom's wedding ring when she passes keep it well pocket who, who gets to Pawn keep it, it. there's Pawn there's it. three daughters who gets no. to keep it right how about you cut it off her dead hand and sell it <laughs> well, is that know, the right answer you know the story on that one so, i do know the story yeah, on that one. i told that a million times between my uh for my aunt and my my uh great aunt died and my mom's sister wanted to pull the wedding ring off the finger. Who does? Who at death? Like who, like, who wants that? The body's still warm, and they want to pull the. And she asked my mom to do it. Is, <laughs> do you think that's romantic? Because I I clearly don't care about rings, and like if my dad died with his college football ring on, I'd be like, eh, I'd go to the grave with him. Yeah. So do you think? See, I'm not romantic. Do you think you have to be romantic to want memorabilia like that? You do. I think there's a, a little bit of narcissism involved. So when I see this in families. It, it always comes back down to uh, the people that you would say, okay, that, that's kind of a narcissistic person. Maybe they're, you know, on Facebook doing selfies all the time. Have you heard this whole Facebook selfie and the, the mental disorder that comes along with it? If if you point to all the, the problems, it's usually those people that are a bit narcissistic that always believe that they had the closer relationship with mom or dad or the aunt. Those are the ones that put up the huge fights that hold up estates for years at a time for a small item. The, you know piece of furniture, Christmas ornaments. Um, there was one where it was a, a wealthy family that liked to hunt, and it was a uh, oh, it, some sort of a grinder that ground meat. Sausage, yeah. yeah, sausage grinder. Um, that was a nine-month process to f- figure out who got that, instead of just continuing to share and it they, like they always had. And they couldn't go to Cabela's and get their own. <laughs> exactly. 
Which but is, it was passed down multiple generations. So instead of just keeping it in the family and, and keeping it in one spot or transferring it from one place to the other, where they all hunt in the same place anyway, instead they no longer talk because of one stupid item. So the opposite of your story is my story is my mother. She's getting up there in age. She should be dead, but she's been living with a stroke for 15 years. Um, I was like, can I have your rocking chair and can I have your frying pan? And she said, yeah. And I, that's my estate. That's her, that's her estate planning with me. Yeah. And I'll let my brothers, you know, what if they want to fight over it, fight over whatever they want to fight over. Money, possessions, house. I don't want any of it. I got I got my childhood memory. My mom's frying pan. <laughs> I remember walking into my stepmother's grand my stepmother's house in Black Butte, Oregon, and we, we went in there for our annual summer trip. And there were sticky notes all over everything, and it had a person's name on it. Oh no! And she was she was getting older. Yeah, it's morbid. It was pretty morbid. Yeah. Because we were all there, and she'd kind of forgotten that she'd done it. <laughs> so there were sticky notes all over all these items, and uh, I'm like, my name's not on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Did you start writing chat and replacing sticky notes? <laughs> exactly. Or the one near the safe, the one on the car. It was stuff that really wasn't worth a lot, anyways. But did we cover what we needed to cover? Well, it is the small stuff. So, you know, you can have a living trust and you deal with the bigger things, but you also have to think about the smaller things. Okay. The wedding rings, the smaller things that you can, you know, have a letter along with your will and trust. Um, me, I'm just going to say sell everything, liquidate it, split the cash. Yeah. And that's what I think is the smart thing to do. Because mm-hmm. I've seen families destroyed over one grandfather that I know gave the granddaughter a lot, but gave his son nothing. And then gave his daughter everything, but gave the granddaughter nothing. Yeah. And they all hate each other. And, and, and keeping a track of these family items, you get families where they get a loan for a house for one daughter and then not for the son, and then those things don't get you know, written yeah. Yeah, down. And so people get angry at the end. Yeah. I've seen that one, too. And it's like, okay, so I'm going to get mom's house, but you get $200,000 now. They go off and spend that 200000 and they're bitter that they didn't get the house. Yeah. yeah. Get everything in writing and be respectful and about it. And give a lot while you're alive. You kind of get a lot of... Uh, it, you go it with feels charitable good. angle. Yeah, feels good. Feeling good, charitable angle. What are you trying to make up for? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Fast lives? I don't know. <laughs> I think you did something in high school or college that you don't want to admit. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, with that being said, you could. that's Chad Burton, newfocusfinancial.com. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He's a CFP. Um, check out his website. There's a lot of great downloads there. New Focus Financial. Black now. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 Peso jumped 1% against the U.S. dollar after the debate. Mexican peso reversed losses against the dollar to trade up more than 1%. As it appears, Hillary essentially won last night's debate. Again, no political comment, commentary from me, just telling you what the media is telling me, um, and also what the market's telling us. There's a 
little bit of numbers out today on housing. And I, I think everyone cares about housing, whether you're in or out. You're, you know the story, right? Home prices again rose in July, pulled up by strong gains in Portland, Seattle, and Denver. That's been a story now for a good year plus. The Pacific Northwest is gaining where California has created so much wealth in real estate. Some Californians are going to Portland and saying, I'll buy it. I don't care. Whatever the price is, I'll pay cash. Um, prices in Portland rose 12%. Seattle, 11%. Denver, 9%. So, but home prices did slow to a 5% gain in July. That's on a year-over-year basis. Expectations were for about a 5.1% increase. Let's bring in Tony Mendez, Bay Area Loansource.com. It's Bay Area Loansource.com. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, Bay Area Loansource.com. I think our society, and you know, parts of society where housing has become too expensive, I think we're going to redefine how much home we live in, which is, I think that's going to be a big theme going which forward. Which is interesting because the average home size has actually been increasing over the last few years, uh, several years, actually. Um, somewhere like 2,200. It's, it's crazy to say this, but it's like 2,200, 2,300 um, square feet for a house, and it keeps getting bigger. Um, you had a lot of focuses on where millennials are going to be living. Uh, it's a big generation, Rob. It's, one, it's our largest workforce. Um, they're making the most money out there, uh, but where is it going? It's going into rentals right now, um, and they're used to these smaller places, so I think that's going to be the new focus. I see, look at some of the new housing that's going up in the Bay Area. It's mostly condos and ha- townhouses, right? Um, and, and single-family home building is, is farther out uh, out of the reach of most people that want to really drive down 580 or, or 880 or 101, and it's just out of reach for the, 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 the people. And, and that's why we're seeing this multifamily construction dominating uh, the Bay Area. So I think people need to determine how much home they need. And I tend to think that people overestimate. So, you know, I live in 1,600 square feet, and it's more than enough. My neighbor's got almost 3,000 square feet, and I don't get what he's going for. Um, it just seems to me boxy. Um, and, you know, there's probably rooms that he doesn't go in for a whole month. So the torture room. <laughs> I, I bought a house in Virginia, lived in it for a while. I had five rooms, five bedrooms. Yeah. And I swear I've been in one of the rooms once. Okay. Um, we bought a little bit too big, but it, it turned out to be a great rental because fam- that's a family house. And you want, as a rent, as a landlord, you want families because they tend to stay longer. They tend to take care, uh, better care of the house. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it, a lot of people, uh, I think in the Bay Area, have seen some downsizing. At the same time, a lot of people are saying, we're going to tear down and rebuild because on occasion you're going to find those people who are wanting that bigger house. You see that in your neighborhood all the time. But you also have seen a house that was uh, it was a tear down and build bigger, but it's been sitting on the market for how long? Over two months. Yeah. Um, so they're not in a very hot market. In a very hot market. So that is a conversation I actually had last night with a with a somebody that went to the seminar is about is the upper end market is kind of slowing down in the Bay area. And, and what's funny is the upper market right now is like 1.5 and higher San Francisco. It was like 2.2. I think everything above that was slowing down, sitting on the market longer. Instead of 30 days, it's like 90 days. Now we've seen like a two or 3% decrease in the home prices, uh, less over asking. There's just less demand for these, uh, these higher home prices yet. Interest rates are still really good for jumbos. There's a lot of lenders that will go up to $2 million and, uh, 
with you know twenty. There's even loans you can get five percent down on jumbos. I wouldn't do it, um, but the rates are still fantastic, Rob. And yeah. and uh, and if if it's slowing with the low rates and it's and you see the slowdown, and that's got to speak a little bit of volume about what's going on in the upper end. I think people should spend a little more time considering where they live. I think a lot of people want to live like their parents did. And I think realistically that's not going to happen for a lot of people. But I don't think you need as much home as you think you do. Like, What's important for me is I want to have a little bit of grass. Um, I want to have an outdoor area where I can cook. I was just going to say a little bit of yard, a little bit of the outdoor amenities, and that can make up a big, big difference for having a smaller place. I want a good fence. Yeah. I know that sounds like – did he just say that? <laughs> like if I were to talk to a realtor – and they'd look. They'd say, "What did you say? I want a good fence. And I want some trees. I don't want to see my neighbors. So, uh, and if I decide I want to pee outside and not flush the toilet for a whole month in a row, I think that should be my prerogative not to be spied on by my neighbors. Um, so I, I consider very carefully where I want to live. And then I've honestly, as I got, as I've gotten older, I'm like, I'd rather have a million dollar house. And I know this is ludicrous for our listeners across the nation than a million and a half dollar house. In large part. I'll just put more money in savings and retirement and live a fatter retirement. So, uh, and not worry about will the money run out when I'm 88 years old and senile and wearing a, an adult diaper. Yeah. And, uh, there's definitely a, a factor of having kids and uh, how, what kind of lifestyle you want for your children. Um, picking an area to buy has got to be very difficult for people here in the Bay Area because a lot of place, a lot of cities are in transition. Uh, and it's difficult to tell which direction they're going. You have to remember there's Prop 13 in California, and you know some of these people that are in these neighborhoods may never leave, um, and they may just hand the property down to their you know their siblings, and they keep that tax basis. Um, and, it, and you may never see that kind of gentrification that you really need to happen, um, or or even a, an upgrade. Uh, there's some neighborhoods in Oakland that are experiencing that exact thing right now. And you may, you know, they, they may be the same neighborhoods that that have gone up, you know, double digits year over year, but also fall the same the same way because they really can't make that transition. Anyway, that's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. A lot of the tech companies that I see out there currently are solving problems that are very, how shall we say, millennial problems. How will I get food today? It's not like we can't go to the store ourselves. It's we want the store to come to us. In some parts of the world, when you said, how am I going to get food today, it would be a real issue. But we've got Uber who's willing to bring it to us. Um, big international push to do so, in fact. So I'm a little concerned with some of the tech valuations that we're seeing out there because they're solving a lot of problems that are not real problems, not cancer, not death, not war. But how can I stay on my couch and food will come to me kind of problems. Twitter needs to sell now uh, in order not to become next Yahoo. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Little piece of mind. I guess I just can't. 
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare from Briefing.com, talking finances, investing, retirement, whatever else might be on the board. How are you doing, Mr. O'Hare? Hi, Rob. I'm doing well, thank you. So we're really moving into the final parts of the year as we get into October, November, December. And uh, how do you feel about the year, all things considered? Well, all things considered, I'd say that uh, the year has unfolded uh, from a performance standpoint better than probably it has a right to. Um, you know, one of the themes I've been emphasizing in my big picture column is that uh, this market has been driven in large part by money flows more so than fundamentals. And the you know main supporting point there is knowing that you've got the major indices having you know all established um, record highs this year uh, right on the heels of quarterly earnings declining year over year for six straight quarters so um, you know what has helped uh, in this regard is that you've had long term rates stay low stay very low and while you've had a hiccup here and there of late. Um, they still remain quite low, historically speaking, and uh, and so you you continue to get money managers and traders and the like that are you know playing this theme of uh, the central bank put for all it's worth and if, you know and effectively trying to seek higher yields in the equity market than they can get in the treasury market. And as long as those long-term interest rates continue to stay uh, repressed, it seems like it's a, a trade that uh, continues to work. So looking at 2017, and I, it's probably a little bit too early to start thinking about the next 12 months after the next three months, um, are we set up for a pullback? Are we set up for a recession, more of the same of muddling through? Will we see fiscal policy replace monetary policy? Any predictions that you want to start uh, laying down sooner rather than later? Well, I... I probably could have added in that last little bit that I think, you know, one of the sustaining influences here is this this ongoing belief that, you know, things will look better six months down the road as it relates to okay. economic growth and earnings growth. You know, right now we have a market that is, um, you know, sitting there with some stretched valuations and you need earnings to pick up uh, to take away some of those concerns, really. And, and part of the reason why the market's able to hold up in here despite the weak earnings is this underlying belief that the earnings growth will materialize in 2017. And, and so the valuations we see today may not look so bad, um, all things considered. So, you know, I think that the, there is a case that can be made that you should see better earnings growth in 2017 just because you, you know, are facing some easier comparisons there. Okay. Um, and that you know, could ultimately be a good thing, but I suspect since you're starting, you know, from a starting point of high valuation right now, um, it could be difficult in 2017 to log some material gains, um, you know, the double-digit variety, uh, certainly if you don't see that earnings growth materialize. But, you know, as we've seen this year, if long-term rates can stay down uh, and there's still a, uh, a belief in the central bank put, 
then the market can stay elevated here uh, for reasons that are not based so much on fundamentals as they are based on money flows. So I start my morning every day by hitting your page one. This morning you brought up Deutsche Bank being a problem, oil prices being a problem, World Trade Organization being a problem. Uh, with all these problems, it seems like the fundamentals are negative, whereas, again, the monetary policy is positive. Um, is it rock, scissors, paper? Does monetary policy always win? Well, what's the adage? You don't fight the Fed, I guess. Right. Um, That's fair enough. You know, um, I guess it's it's rang true again here. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, leading up to that FOMC meeting, uh, you did see a little fight in the market, though, um, you know, based on this notion that central banks, not just the Federal Reserve, but the ECB and the Bank of Japan in particular, you know, have, uh, you know, perhaps reached the limits of their, their monetary policy. Uh, and that's a, a, a disconcerting view because um, part of that, you know, policy effort has been, you know, maintaining control of the yield curve really at the front end and then also using the quantitative easing to keep rates down at the long end. And, um, so you don't want these central banks to lose control of that yield curve. Um, and uh, And so we're at a... A really interesting, uh, I think, inflection point here as to whether um, there can be a successful handoff to the fiscal side of things, or whether the market can really, uh, you know, regroup here and, and place its full faith and credit again in these central banks and, and what they're doing. So, uh, it, I guess, you know, long story short, is that in, in the midst of an environment like that, you probably see this continued back and forth that you've got going on that we've had going on here as far as the market's uh, feelings about policy, uh, you know, it's it's wavering on the timing of rate hikes and what they might ultimately mean because, you know, the data, the incoming data has been somewhat, you know, inconsistent where it might be strong one quarter and not so great the next quarter. And so it's, it's hard to really get a feel for, you know, where things are going to ultimately break. And when you're at a, at a starting point of high valuation, uh, you don't get a lot of conviction, I think, uh, and uh, and so you see the choppiness that we've had and some of the relatively narrow trading ranges that we've had for, for a while here. This all feels pretty heavy as far as conversations goes. Is there anything light and fun in the markets that you see? Like, I like sure. doing stories about, will Twitter be bought or not? Um, are they a media company or a tech company? Is there anything fun going on out there? Well, some fun going on is watching the presidential debate. <laughs> <laughs> That's Clear really winner last night, right? That's that's really entertaining. I think the only uh, undisputed uh, winner out of that debate last night was the the writers at Saturday Night Live. So I can't wait to see what's coming, <laughs> what's coming from them. But uh, all kidding aside, you know, there, you know, sure, you know, the market, you get, you know, news every day, obviously, uh, and there's some interesting, you know, stories. And the Twitter one that you're talking about has has you know caught some attention. Um, but you know, I I don't look at things uh, quite honestly from such a a micro level in that respect. Um, I take kind of like the whole pie into consideration there as it relates to M and A activity and you know what we're seeing and and we're still seeing these deals go off at you know some pretty good sized premiums, right? Um, and you know, and that's uh, something that I think also helps uh, keep 
uh, keeps wetting the appetite of buyers here uh, because it's when you get these deals that go off at hefty premiums, it does create this notion that you know maybe the, maybe there is some uh, undiscovered value or more value in the market than what uh, one might be seen in just this um, overarching PE multiple for the S and P 500, and so. Um, so that's always interesting to me, you know, as far as how these deals are going down. You know, are they all cash? Are they a combination of cash and stock? And you know, and what type of premium are companies still willing to pay, uh, particularly when they're using just uh, all cash? So, <clears throat> taking a look at the markets and you know some of the other issues that are going on out there, um, the IPO market. Do you feel? I look at the IPO market. I live in San Francisco, and one of the things that I see is a lot of IPOs like Uber and Lyft. They're not IPOs yet, but they're solving not real economic problems. They're kind of like making life more convenient. Um, Amazon Prime makes life more convenient. Do we have an economy that's that's geared for the next 10, 20, 30 years that's going to be robust and, and adding some GDP to us, or are we just setting ourselves up to be living in kind of a utopian society where companies just make things easier for us yeah uh it's a hard question to answer rob look i mean like do you look at do you look at the ipo market different do you look at the ipo market to see what where we are Mm -hmm. well it seems like you know in the seat i sit in the only thing that tends to excite the market you know relates to ipos or are those that come out of silicon valley um and what comes out of silicon valley often is are disruptive companies, and I don't mean that in a bad way. And they're just mm-hmm. companies that uh, are kind of shaking things up, um, you know, for better. And I guess in many situations, making life easier. Um, but uh, but it's an interesting dynamic here when you see the, uh, the the growing influence of technological advances on our economy um, and how it's I think helping to prices down in some respects, but it's also, I think, leading to some displacement of human capital. Uh, and that's going to be a major issue, I think, as it relates to the next 10 or 20 years, is how does our economy adjust uh, with the growing influence of technology uh, in our economy and, and what it could potentially do to upset this equation of using human capital to, you know, in the in production lines and, and in, even in services, really. So you're starting to see, uh, I mean, even in the, you know, journalism industry, you know, you've got uh, technology that effectively writes articles, um, which is a really interesting uh, development, but, uh, but doesn't bode well for, you know, journalism majors, I suppose. But, so, but that's really the, the thing that I think that we're going to have to be taking close stock of over in the next 10 or 20 years is, you know, just how do we adjust uh, in the name of, you know, advanced technology. They're going to get a robot for you sooner than later. They're going to get a robot for me sooner than later. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. It is the best way to start your financial day, starting with his page one column and ending uh, the week with his big picture. You can find out more at Briefing.com. That's Briefing.com.
Bob Black now. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Sia? How can you not like Sia? One of the things I like to do when I'm at the gym is jump on YouTube and whatever points my fancy, I start watching or streaming. I don't even care about the machines that have televisions tied towards them anymore because they don't cater to my fancy, right? If I'm in the mood to, like watch a SIA interview, YouTube's awesome. Um, If I'm in the mood to watch highlights from last night's NFL game, YouTube's awesome. If I'm in the mood to watch highlights from the late night comedians, uh, late night talk show host, YouTube is awesome. Today's World Savings Day. Congratulations. Oh, I just jumped too soon. World Savings Day isn't actually until October 31st. But we shall be thinking about World Savings Day every day. Every day is World Savings Day, right? Cable TV. Most Americans only watch 17 cable channels on a regular basis. But their average bill is about $100 a month. Consider going with Netflix, 10 bucks, Hulu, 8 bucks, Amazon Prime, free with Amazon Prime. Um, and HBO Now. And that's 41 bucks. That's less than half the cable bill. And you can also get a digital antenna and save 60 bucks a month, $700 a year. Sweet. Gasoline, the average driver logs 41 miles a day with the average gas price at 223. That's um, about four bucks a day in gas. Solution, go with an electric vehicle. I think probably another three years from now. Um, I think that's when everything's coming down in solar and and solar costs. My neighbor just put on a $27,000 solar panel on his his roof. Um, And his plan is to get electric cars in the next two to three years to kind of play off that. The average office space is about $33,000 a year to rent, while the average commute time is about 23 minutes a day. If you could work from your home, you could eliminate those costs. Save 620 bucks a year. Um, a landline? Who has landlines anymore? If you have a landline, there's something seriously wrong with you. Average cost of a landline is about 35 bucks a month. Um, average cost of a cell phone is about $75 per month. You can go with a voice over internet uh, protocol solution. So well, there's hundreds of them out there. That's so, right, Jack. That's right, Jack. Mr. T for vice president. Who would be no president? No way, fool. Let me just tell you who I would vote for president. He's big. He's hairy. He knows how to hit the hyperdrive. Any thoughts? Chewbacca for president. 
<laughs> I would so vote for Chewbacca. I don't know why. Wouldn't you like to see Chewbacca facing down Putin and Chewbacca at the UN and maybe Chewbacca visiting like um, New Orleans after a, a, a major flood? Okay, so before they cancel the show, let's move forward. Um, some thoughts out there. Home prices climbed again in July. Biggest winners were Portland, Seattle, and Denver. Um, and then you've got some more modest 1.7% growth in New York, 3.7% growth in Chicago, 5.5% in L.A. Elsewhere out there, gas prices now hit sit at $2.25 a gallon. That's that's a nice rise of $0.04 cents over the last um Two weeks. Highest price of gasoline in the United States. San Francisco at $2.80. The cheapest is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana uh, at buck ninety one. So we need pipelines in California. Um, elsewhere out there, I know someone's probably just had a heart attack from me saying that. That's fine. Half America. Half America could have Amazon Prime by the end of the year. Vote Jeff Bezos and Chewbacca for president. Amazon's 49 million Prime members are worth about $143 billion of their lifetime. And with its pace of new subscriptions speeding up, the big company known as Amazon is set in to rake, even, rake in even more money. I've got Amazon Prime, and you'd probably have to pry it from my dead fingers to get rid of it. Um, I know you're saying, isn't that like a gun commercial? No, Amazon Prime. Love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, elsewhere out there, and this is when I get to talk a little sexy, um, excuse me, I'm blushing, so a bra war is heating up, um, and the winner is me, (laughs) or all men, Victoria's Secret shoppers are still the most viable, um, shoppers at the $7.6 billion lingerie chain, also known as Victoria's Secret, they control roughly two-thirds of the country's intimate apparel market, make more frequent purchases than the average intimates consumers. So Victoria's Secret has a cult of people that spend 40 to $60 more than the average intimate apparel shopper, aided by higher prices. Um, and they're doing something that's getting younger people in their stores. And I guess it's a little controversial. They're starting to sell what are referred to as bralettes. Um... Now, the bralettes are are a lot less expensive, but they get younger women in the store. The average age of its customers declined by a decade in the last four months because they're promoting bralettes and sports bras. Um, Big business. So um, the sports bra business for its uh, notes is worth about a billion plus dollars. Swimwear business is $400 million. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's Twitter, Rob Black Show, and YouTube, Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.